Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. You have a grand unification theory of all magic. Please explain. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's um, probably not, you know, my idea. I'm sure many smart people have, have come to the same conclusion, but it gradually dawned on me that uh, uh, I was trying to sort of disentangle or perhaps merge, you know, the artistic process and the magical process and, you know, blah, blah. It, it, it's very interesting, but it's it's not really new. However, I was, I wouldn't say obsessed with it but i was very genuinely interested in it to check out what's going on by looking at art by looking at magic um and seeing uh, mostly similarities and that made me think further and sort of deeper and going back in time uh, a little bit or quite quite a bit uh, to what's called um, you know the beginning of time or the beginning of our recordings of the beginning of, of our perception in a way and the way it seems to be um, based on remnants like early art for instance uh, and the uh, development of tools and, and just your know, tribal life also in the sense that the indigenous cultures that still exist in their you know almost pristine form uh, are like living memories of of uh, ancient times and basically what was going on is that one key element of uh, survival and and a healthy life for the little community or tribe or, or whatever we're looking at was this thing with the, the 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 function of going beyond of transcending the normal mind frame uh, usually um uh, delegated to one person who had good capacity for, you know, leaving the body, going on on this sort of uh, trips, you know, inner journeys, vision quests, can call it whatever we want with today's terminology, but basically transcending the rational and going into spheres of, of um, um, the deep psyche or outer nature. You can, again, call it what you want, but bringing back real firsthand knowledge about what was good what was bad what for instance uh, you could eat you could not eat uh, in terms of uh, weather uh, of course also a learning process working together with outer nature so we could say that this person or this function also very much was like an interpreter um, and um, explorer interpreter and and together people um, integrated this knowledge that came from not the direct senses 
not their own sens sen sensory input, but through someone who had as a job to go through these things. And, and then you keep, you know, thinking, you know, what happened along the way? Did those people disappear? Do they only exist in these indigenous cultures in forgotten jungles that will now soon be defunct? Uh, and of course, no, uh, that has existed um, and it still exists only in slightly different forms. Um, you could say, you know, these schematic, almost cliched things that eventually when societies became too complex, you know, we had these proxy institutions where you had a priest and you had a church or you had an artist to work with art. We had a scientist who took on that sort of the natural uh, scientific aspects. And, and um, that's just a natural progression too. However, the inherent need uh, of having that function either in yourself or uh, a designated proxy person uh, or an actual person, I mean, uh, has traveled on in our genes. That's, that's my theory. Might be someone else's too. Uh, but genetically, we have memories of many things that have helped us survive. There's no, you know, doubt about that. And, and as general science also affirms that, that it's like a little memory bank and our instincts and everything are not static. They weren't static. They have developed uh, along the millennia and, and even longer. And this thing of going beyond to secure information about uh, basically survival and development, uh, it's right in there together with the uh, fight or flight or procreation and these things. So um, that's something that I present in Source Magic as, as uh, that is the source and specifically it has been interesting talking about these things thinking about them talking about them together with you know so-called occult people a lot of occultists are not as open-minded as one could uh, assume or hope uh, they're actually very rigid in their thinking very devoted almost religious to their system to their power structure to their initiations and it, basically there's nothing wrong with that i guess that's how most people function but this thing where you impose an interpretation grid or an interpretation matrix on top of something to see what's what, then people, you know, freak out and say, I'm not a shaman. I'm not interested in shamanism, you know, just pretending that any kind of ism can be uh, <laughs> weighed against another ism. Uh, but what I call, I'm not so interested in, in shamanism in, in itself, but the shamanic approach it is the best word that we can use because it has these indigenous connotations. And it is uh, really the function of the shaman is to go beyond and come back with information and also heal and do things in, in the beyond, in their minds or wherever they go. Um, so that's that for me is a, a short summing up of the source magic. We all have the uh, very easy connection to to the source. Uh, it's just uh, you don't even have to go out in nature with sleeping bags or or designer drugs or anything. It's just to validate whatever you experience on on the inner planes in your own uh, uh, yeah imagination, and then you take it one step further and travel through your imagination and just accept what you find as really important stuff, not to be discarded as some whimsical, um, I don't know, uh, fantasy. Fantasy is a very, very difficult word. Um, and I think that um, that's really it. And then of course, 
going out into nature and connecting with nature because in this this uh, mind frame and in this uh, premise or thesis or whatever you want to call it lies also the fact that um, uh, it's a holistic thing you know we are absolutely connected to each other for good or bad as much as we hate a lot of people uh, we are we are little you know cells on this huge uh, body of this globe uh, floating in in space uh, whether we want it or not uh, so I think that's very important to uh, connect to that real realization. I mean, a real shocking insight, not an intellectual thing, you know, reading Carl's book and saying, oh, yeah, that's that's it. But actually be shook, uh, encounter that insight in, inside yourself. And preferably, I would say, somewhere in nature. It could be a desert or a jungle, doesn't matter, but preferably somewhere where you can be alone and undisturbed and just connect. You know, uh, it's about connecting to the source. And when you do that, which is a lot simpler than people think, uh, you, you know, uh, start looking at things in a different way. At least I did. Uh, and for me, it was not a one point experience that you know shook my life i think this has been a gradual progression also doing a lot of occult work in different environments and seeing what's worked for me and seeing what's not works for me and and um, you know it's this standard you know uh, acronym kiss you know keep it simple stupid it's it's one I of thought, the best. i thought that stood for knights and satan service oh it does too but that's only for initiates <laughs> Uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, basically people you know people have a tendency especially in the west to make things a whole lot more complicated than they need to be and that's another thing i present in the book i yeah it's the the word called sympathesis you know people talk about sympathetic magic that's you know when something becomes symbolic of something else and you affect the symbol and then that will affect the the uh, outer so-called reality but in, in with the word sympathesis um, I mean that individual human beings or cultures or societies or religions, they create their own system to transcend. Because I do believe inherently that the human uh, individual psyche, the totality, has a need to transcend itself. You know, those are the peak moments. You know, we all know the, you know, orgasm or, or uh, spiritual enlightenment, those kind of things. We need to have those experiences. And, and so if we are very laid back, uh, oh, let's say if we are uh, Southern Asian Buddhists, we are already working in a tradition that has been created for that mind frame, which is meditative. Uh, it may seem to be passive, but it's not really. It's a whole lot of work inside. Um, whereas in the Western ceremonial tradition of occultism, you have the Judeo-Christian rational scientific mind going berserk, basically creating so much systematic approaches that it takes a lifetime to to break down and transcend. You know, so I believe that we all create. Um, it's not, you know, escapism. It's not uh, a flight. It's something that we build in order to transcend. Uh, I guess you could tie it in with Nietzsche's uh, overcoming in a way, not only the bare existential minimum, but also overcoming the, your own structure that you build in order to, to get to that peak moment and look beyond, if but, mm. you know, temporarily, and then come back with that uh, added information. Yeah, I, that's, <laughs> I love that. And I, I think that one of the things about the shaman's quest that is often, um, missed is that you do have to come back you know and that that 
really that that's the most important part because you know you can spend decades out out on a limb chasing all the most extreme experiences doing all the drugs going off the berserk as you as you pointed pointed out but for me the key realization of the whole thing is like well because as we all know when you go out into that other world it's infinite it's like a trip that just never stops there's always something more um, and it can be um, very dark and harrowing at times and and in, in a lot of ways but it's kind of an endless sometimes it feels like an endless maya or or an additional video game layer to reality kind of going out into the occult experience but for me the key is well what are you going to bring back for the tribe and i think that's what makes somebody a shaman rather than you know they did eighteen thousand hits of dmt at a mm -hmm. festival you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and i think also um there is something to um be said for the, I guess it's the time we're in. I'm thinking of individualism, and it has been promoted through, uh, definitely through Nietzsche, you know, Schopenhauer. Basically, the philosophy of will, you know, it ties in with individualism. And then you have, in the more occult uh, specifics, you know, you have Crowley, of course, and you know, um, uh, Lavey and Satanism, Topi. It, it's really kind of an ultra individualism, and that is not a paradox, you know, because uh, it's also cliche, but, you know, you can't really be good to someone else until you're good uh, to yourself. Uh, and you have to find out all these answers that you can find out for yourself first. And that, again, to take another example of, of the necessity why these things are coming uh, to us right now or during the 20th century, I'm thinking about psychology. It was another matrix, something else that opens up the inner spheres that had previously been just merely, you know, um, pathologizing people in a very simplified way. But with psychoanalysis and many other kind of forms of, of therapy, you could really open yourself up. It was not someone, you know, to quote Pinchbeck, you know, breaking open your head. It was you yourself on the couch or wherever you're, you're doing this thing, opening up to actually a stranger because uh, mm. that you need to feel the trust. But the main thing is that you do it because essentially you're doing it to yourself. You're opening up to yourself. So psychology is another interesting thing that happened uh, during this um, well, let's call it first century of the new eon then to just you know keep it um, in the occult uh, history or tradition uh, so i think that all of these things uh, point to that uh, collective movements and we can see that on a daily basis uh, they don't really work that well because mm. i think we touched upon that uh, last time or if not we're doing it now again um this thing where power in itself corrupts and when you have big blobs of societies with too many people then uh, the the temptation to to cling to the whatever power you have uh, and also to expand it is simply too uh, attractive alluring and that's what's going on and that eventually leads to wars and and uh, uh, mass mass murder and and you know other forms of um, behaviors that we really should be intelligent enough to to not delve into but unfortunately that seems to be the case so i think that's why this is like um bouncing back or with this, the pendulum swinging we're now in the movement towards more individualism um and it's not a paradox again i was talking about holistic 
approaches or holistic insight. Uh, but we cannot be a good part if we're not a good part, you know. And how do you get to be a good part? Well, you you have the classic, um, you know, um, rights of uses thing, you know, know thyself. You have to know thyself. And that's those two words, basically, they say it all. Uh, so life, I think, is... Um, uh, an individuation in ideal circumstances, of course, that you can be aware that you need to individuate, develop, you know, empower yourself. And then, of course, that you have, uh, that you acquire the means to do it, meaning that you take it seriously. Because there are so many people, like, for instance, in the psychedelic environments, they have fantastic insights. And they have like, you know, absolutely mind-blowing insights about how everything functions and your own part in it. But then when the trip is over and you wake up in the afternoon, then, you know, it's like gone with the wind. You <laughs> yes. can say that it was a great trip, but what the hell happened? And then you look at your notes from the, from the night and it's complete gobbledygook, you know. So you have to be, uh, you have to validate things as they happen in the moment and then they will stick longer and then they can be sorted in your your uh, mental filing system and eventually you can connect the doc dots in your individuation process and at the there, there is no outcome of that you know there's not you don't there's no finishing line but when you're on your path then you will become simply a better person that can integrate and interact with um other people in a collective it can, it doesn't really work the other way around a collective seemingly cannot empower the individual uh, to become individuated because it's, that's a paradox because the collective uh, requires that everyone is just a kind of a mechanical cog right the collective it's not in the collective's interest to empower an individual no. unless it's into a functionary yeah role. because if the cog becomes a little uh, ball or a little screw instead it can can uh, jam the system well, i think that said uh, learning how to learning how to get power within a group is very important and understanding that it's not a process of force but i'm thinking more of like in a corporate environment where it's uh you you have to be competent and market it your competent market your competency to your your fellow collective in just the right way so that they entrust you with similar so they entrust you with power similar to i guess what you were saying about the therapist that it's invested in 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 somebody by another person in that mm -hmm. way um yeah it's always it's always fascinated me i i, I think that what you're describing you've started from talking about the shamanic experience and I, I realize we should super specify this is from the book source magic mm -hmm. which which is now out by carl on, Ray, on Amazon. yeah just in yeah. case for the people who are <laughs> listening to the audio only i realize right. i only hold, held up the book so i wanted to yeah. specify yeah. and this is now the second podcast on it because it's an awesome book um it, kind of what you're you're and, and this is a conclusion that I've, I've come to in my own way as well that the what is described the pattern described by the shamanic experience is really just a pattern of individuation or or you know becoming an adult it doesn't have to necessarily have anything to do with like the more colorful aspects of magic although it certainly can I, you know mm -hmm. that that stuff is fun right but it's also struck me that the shaman pattern of going out into the wilderness and then coming back with something for your tribe is the same as the hero's journey 
you know, the plot of the hero that goes out, conquers the dragon and then comes back at the end. And so it really does, I think, to, to your point, I mean, it really does seem to be hardwired into us. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, also, you, you wrote a book about, about uh, John Dee. And let's let's stay with him and that era or their work for, for a bit, because it's basically the same uh, in a more pristine way, I think, than, than uh, you know, um, what the Golden Dawn tried to emulate in a way. They did it fairly well. And it was certainly, you know, um, carried impact. But there you had these sort of experimental magicians in medieval times uh, who also went out on a limb and jumped off you know and experienced yeah. a whole lot of crazy stuff but they needed to contextualize it uh, first of all for safety you know because they couldn't be too crazy and uh, or too overt about what they were doing you know they had the patronage of of uh, royalty but but uh, you know there were other enemies also who did not like what they were doing however if you look at the the basic shamanic thing it's like you travel on a rhythm you travel on uh, frequencies you travel on tones because uh, that's a traditional way that Everybody who tries it, they, they find out that it works really well. However, these guys, they were working with more magical things like frequency that comes from, from uh, intonation and invocation mm. and evocation mm-hmm. using sounds and I'm sure incense and the scrying and all mm-hmm. basic techniques. But it's the same, right? They went into a different space, different, let's call it different headspace, and they experienced things that were not... Um, the ordinary they were they experienced things that were out of the ordinary however their context allowed them in this moment to receive information uh, and a whole lot of it you know and then you could say the classic conundrum is it objective or is it subjective is it are the angels there or is it the the psyche of these overheated uh, british gentlemen uh, you know <laughs> and and i've i've certainly swung between both uh, right now i think i mean a very 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 psychic psychological thing i think mm-hmm. it's we connect to our own psyche basically and we are beings we are connected to nature therefore we can go into nature by ourselves you know by our psyches in a way and find incredible things there but if you want to you could also say that you know the totem animal is real uh, the angels are real uh, any kind of um, you know uh, judeo christian uh, hierarchies of heaven are real you know it's it's all real or everything is just psychic forces that get a culturally imprinted form or gestalt through the names um of that we can never be sure uh, we can speculate and we gladly do uh, but this thing is is not really that different it's the same. And the Golden Dawn, you know, they rehashed it and Crowley rehashed it. It's the same thing. Chaos magicians were very good in that they really, and Topi also, it's a process of upheaval, saying, mm-hmm. let's change, you know, uh, let's have a different kind of pantheon. Let's call it, you know, this and that and bolt this and screw this and 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 glass this and just be completely uh, anarchic in a way. And, and um uh, as they say, whatever floats the boat, you know, mm. whatever works. And I think at that point in time, there was need of uh, shaking things up culturally because it has, you know, it's almost like inert and very depressed. If we're talking about these specific societies of, you know, Germany and Britain and and, and uh, America also. Um, so I, again, I believe that we inherently need to go beyond 
Hence, ergo, why people go to bars and drink. It's not an enlightening thing, but people still have a need to do it. Or they smoke a joint or they they uh, go on, on heavier psychedelic trips and just like... It, it's not recreational. It's, it's an inherent need that we have to mm. go into that different uh, mind frame. Unfortunately, it becomes a recreational, um, I don't know, commodity. It becomes a business, both legal and illegal. Um, but it uh, it is so big simply because the need is so big. Uh, yeah. if, if we don't do it, then... then uh, someone else will do it for us because we will eventually you know yearn for it so much that we cannot not do it one thing that i've thought about a lot and and talked about a lot is that in the when the the soviet union fell there was a tremendous explosion of interest in occultism and and i thought about that a lot and uh this was part of my business plan actually in, in the sense that when things are falling apart you know, and this was at this point post 2008, um, when, when the empire is crumbling as, as it seems to be, although it always seems to be crumbling, um, people I think have an inherent need to not just to engage in this process, not just to engage in the will to power, but also to contact something that feels safe and like a structure beyond the, the structures of government. And so I think that a lot of what people are doing when they're going out into the other worlds is not necessarily, at least maybe not after the initial part to go crazy and see how much insane stuff can be discovered, but is looking for, for some reassuring deep structure mm -hmm. because we're, we're at this point, you know, it's like God is dead, you know, it's on mm -hmm. us to figure it out whether we want to or not in, in our current social moment. And that's, I mm -hmm. think, very deeply stressful for people to have, to have the burden of the shaman. I feel actually that people should not all have the burden of the shaman as we all now do, which is why I think these things are so popular. Mm -hmm. Um, people I think are very deeply, I wouldn't be, but I think a lot of people are deeply, and probably most of the people listening to this podcast would not be, but most people are much more comfortable with received truth. Mm -hmm. so they, don't need the, they don't need the extra burden of having, you know, they have kids to feed and, and jobs yeah. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that that from the very beginning, it, it was a very specified a special occupation uh, because there were also occupational hazards. It's like, you know, uh, tangibly touching on madness. You know, there, not, there should be insurance packages. For <laughs> <shopping>. <laughs> yeah, but not, not yeah. was simply perceived as madness because they acted crazy or or act crazy uh, from the point of view of of you know normality so called uh, but uh, actually going into um uh, states of mind that you know border on psychosis meaning you actually let go it's not like a, a light trance where you, where you you know enjoy it and then you actually go beyond 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 uh, and and um, the skill of the shaman is to know how to actually leave it and come back you know whereas he, normal humans who are psychotic they have a hard time uh, coming back you know they get stuck there and i think on a lighter um, uh, way of looking at it or, or on a lighter uh, scale, I think that can be true for a lot of things in, in contemporary occultism also, you know, what's being offered is that they people don't become psychotic necessarily, but they become obsessed. Uh, I don't say possessed because I don't really ascribe so much um, 
power to that concept, but they're certainly obsessed with whatever it is. People tend to go into things you know, head on. And as they say now from poker, all in, you know, they, they, it's a religious thing, right? Yeah. You know, you, you, you become a fundamentalist, you're, even though you might be interested, actually, even in, in chaos magic, you become defensive of, of Pete Carroll and Phil Hine and you yeah. become defensive. So it's, it's not the I, way. I'm how, not, how, but yeah. <laughs> but I can, I can see it even in those environments. They were defensive like, against me though. When my first book came out, Peter Carroll said, he wrote this scathing thing where he said, uh, you know, it's an amazing what a what a it's like he basically said that he had cast his pearls before with swine, swine meaning me. And <laughs> that uh, you know, what a mess people have made out of his ideas. And he yeah. I love this is actually I, I was actually really happy about this. He said, This isn't enlightenment, it's permanent derangement. <laughs> like, awesome, awesome. That's great. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I mean, it's it's just uh, I can see it. Also, uh, I was uh, I still am a thalamite, but but I'm no longer involved in in the OTO. I was for a long time, and and I had a problem with uh, uh, with fundamentalism of a very religious nature, and that's uh, where I I just had to draw the line. You know, people are allowed to do whatever they want to. I I I don't care, but uh, I could not. I did not want to be associated with that kind of religiousness because for mm. me, it was always about the philosophy. You know, I already had my magical system uh, from Topi and it's been with me up until now, you know, uh, and uh, there's some good parts in Crowley, you know, the syncretism, the synthesizing. Uh, he was a great, great, colorful character. But the main thing for me was that he brought the philosophy of will into the occult. Um some others had tried, but he was certainly the best and most powerful one. But it is basically boils down to Schopenhauer and then Nietzsche as the real, you know, Thor hammering down on, yes. on, on God. Yes. Uh, and then you have Crowley coming in that like the, the occult guy and sort of uh, do what thou wilt. And he absolutely, and that that is the benefit. It's the philosophy. The philosophy is the liber liberator. It's not the magical system yeah. in itself. And it's mm. certainly not Crowley's psychosis of being a prophet. Mm. You know, uh, mm, yeah. I say that religiousness, or I don't know, maybe it was a joke. Maybe it was like tongue in cheek. Uh, I don't know. Well, if it's a, if it's a joke, I think he started taking it seriously. As <laughs> yeah, happens. Exactly. Because that's what happens. That's that's the so-called Christ complex that comes in. And, you know, you want to be a prophet. Uh, and then the, um, I won't say adepts, the acolytes take that seriously. And then you have a religiousness that simply becomes fundamentalist. And then, you yeah. know, if, you, if you're doing that, you know, how can you be a fully individuated person? How can you I be was sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's just for me, there is a paradox there that I, I uh, had uh, problems with and I, I uh, had to dissociate myself from mm. from uh, that environment. Maybe yeah, I was very I, I'm, I'm super interested about this. I in a very, very few number of times that I, I uh went to go hang out with with auto the auto uh i was very surprised that i was i was actually really shocked in this deep way after coming out of chaos magic for so long and jen and and, and the basic chaos magic perception of the world which is still my fundamental ground of this is essentially 
a way of meta thinking. It's an art project. It's a it's a self individuation as art project, uh, and all these basic these these grounds of basic sanity of this isn't necessarily real, but it's fun. Like I think that that's a great way to come at it. And then I'm like at the auto, and I'm basically interacting in America. You know, it's like interacting with people who used to be Mormons. And they believed that angelic book from Joseph Smith, and now they're renegade Mormons, and now they're Thelemites, and now they believe the Book of the Law just like they believed in, you know, the Tablets of Morani, the angel. Uh, that that was what I just didn't know where to go with that. I was like, I, I like we. It's like we're not even in the same universe. And I'm not saying that as an. As, I'm not trying to say that as an elitist thing at all. It's just I'm literally trying to say it's like I didn't. I wasn't prepared for that. I, it was really disturbing to me when mm. when I encountered that, and I didn't really know how to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you loud and clear, and and I think that uh, maybe that's also um, uh, an inherent human need. Then you know that in our specific culture, in our specific time, the contemporary uh, takes on that form. Like we have so many paths and avenues and freedoms and including philosophies and self-help books and magic books and mm -hmm. and podcasts you know mm -hmm. it is yeah. fucking endless we are so free that it could almost be hampering so perhaps again when someone finds something slightly resonant with them and their outlook uh, they become zealots you know they become so protective or whatever it is that brings that initial resonance and and um, inspiration and it's you know who are we to to judge you know if if it whatever floats the boat if people are happy there then it's fine however right. from the that's outside that's not my that's not my way of thinking that you know it's just <laughs> yeah. like we have to we have to at least be one level of meta uh, yeah. at least one level of of uh you know distanced is is comfortable for me but maybe that's my hang up i can't fully yeah. I can't fully jump in, you know. Yeah, no, maybe, but I think that that what what I've seen is that, uh, as you say, you know, with, with with Mormons or whatever, Christian Science, it could be could be anything. It's the same mechanics, right? People just want to, you know, find the yeah. others, find a community. It's beautiful and it's absolutely natural. But I think it's also so natural that you don't want to leave it when you found it. So thereby, you you can yeah. act uh, in ways that were sort of that you could never see yourself acting in that way only six months earlier you know you you change when you come into the environment and i'm i'm not implying like you know cult psychology i think it's more basic than that people just want to belong to something and and groups promoting um in uh, strict and and you know severe individualism um should perhaps you know refrain from just adopting other like churches terminology yeah. and, and uh, phrases and stuff like that because it's, it's just too interchangeable and it, it defeats the purpose to me you know right i'm curious to go back to the talking about the philosophy at this at this point in your life how do you define will because for me that that has changed quite a bit you know from the initial my initial yeah, thinking on it. i think i think that uh it's a very difficult question, but but um, and I can only speak for myself. Uh, I think what's happened in my life is that um, in the beginning I saw everything very very compartmentalized, and I think magic it helped me in that for good and bad. Uh, seeing now now I do this ritual for this specific purpose, you know, it's like a very causal approach. 
you know, I want B to happen. Therefore, I do A and and you know move over there. Um, it uh, worked and it has worked really well. Uh, but mainly, I think when you have done enough so that a synergy uh, is manifested in between these little mini trips. Uh, of causality, uh, displaying your garden of flowers, which could be like artistic projects or, um, you know, uh, any kind of manifestations that you work for magically. Uh, but now I see Will more as, um, I don't know, uh, these are difficult and, and cliche terms, but very much more like a flow. Uh, I know that all the little tiny details that need causal attention they are now because of I am no longer tiny Carl, I'm now big Carl, and they move by themselves in a way. Uh, not yes. automatic, they need pushing uh, or greasing, you know, greasing the machinery, but the machinery works really well. So in terms, when I think about will, and, and of course, what is my will, then I would say uh, they're basically uh, where it used to be little, you know, uh, see my automatic shooting like uh, today it's more like one cannon you know one mm, big cannon that's that great I, that i focus on is like a boom and then i just sit like baron munchausen on <laughs> the ball you know <laughs> and 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 uh, all the little causalities are sort of uh the the tail in a way um, that's great. So I yeah, I think I think uh, that's how I look at it. It's uh, I still want the same things, but many of the things don't even need to be uh, formulated because they are part of the the main thing that's moving forward. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like and as you're, that's great I, as you're talking about this. Um, and that's great that you have one cannon. I'm still like, it's like this lifelong process of trying to like get everything in one stream for me, you know, instead of going in separate directions at the same time, um, which is the real, the real magician's downfall is trying to do too much at once, I think. Yeah. But um, I, I, I feel like I have two ways of thinking about will. One is at least the act of will. I came to realize that for me, this was very helpful. You know, when you come at this from the magical perspective and you do like this kind of Sturm and Drang, like capital W will, um, I it is my will that this so-and-so, you know, I get a date on the so-and-so date. Um, I, I think that it, that is kind of overdoing it at this point. For me, a will, will at this point just means a decision, you know, to make a decision and therefore to cut off other, to by will cut off other uh, options um, and to make a real life decision. And that, that, that's what, it, and it's interesting now too, with psychology, we know now that will is a finite resource. Like you have it more in the early morning and it, you will, you lose willpower as time goes on. There's only a certain number mm -hmm. of decisions you can make a day, which is why people like Obama or Steve jobs or, you know, wore the same clothing every day. So they didn't have to expend that decision, yeah. which is really interesting for me when compared to the Thelemic idea of, you know, this kind of like bodybuilder approach to will that you constantly have to keep building it up and building it up, which I think is good too. But for me, it's, it can be simpler. It can be the decision, simply making a decision in the moment rather than a whole ritual. Yeah. And the other operative definition of will for me at this point just seems to be like, you know, like I think kind of what you were saying, which is just like the course of how my life is being lived as a, as a directional stream. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe you can look at it uh, even in, in, in the temporality um, when you said that, uh, had this idea that that maybe it's not so much about projecting into the future. Maybe will is what we've achieved so far. You know, that if nothing else, uh, we are in this present moment, the result of our will so far. So if we want to look at what will is, then we should perhaps look backwards, you know, do the, mm-hmm. the di- diary thing and, and analysis thing of, of uh, what has gone well and what has not gone well, uh, because we don't know anything about our will of the future. It's, it's all speculation. We right. don't really know. You know, we can have uh, a tangent, you know, you can have uh, a certain kind of uh, trampoline that you're jumping on uh, and hopefully you land in the pool that you want to land in but if you jump really high on the trampoline you might end up on the side by the pool <laughs> you know we can't yeah. we can't know <laughs> the only thing yeah. we know is that we're on the trampoline well re- thinking retroactively too i mean there, there definitely does seem to be a process of okay when i try to do certain things with my life even that i'm putting a ton of willpower in but those just never work out but then even if I exert a tiny amount of willpower over here, it like works out perfectly. Yeah. And then you kind of see that pattern over time. And it's like, okay, well, clearly maybe I'm just quote unquote meant to be doing this. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's, that's something where, where uh, people have to take that seriously. And, and it can be a challenge for, for a lot of people who are you know, perhaps comfortable in life but they feel attracted to something else, deeply attracted to something else. And they find that when they deviate and go in in Mm. that direction, they get so many synchronicities, for instance. Synchronicities for me, it's the actual proof that we give to ourselves saying, you're on the right track, Mm. keep going. Uh, Because it's so, you know, um, what can we call it? Existentially connecting the dots, perhaps, in a funny way. It's like these wow moments that synchronicities are uh, they rarely um, come to us when we are completely bored at some again like some uh, corporate job setting or in a complete dud of a family situation you know when we're frustrated and in the wrong place we rarely have synchronicities then they come when we're uh, sort of filled with the joie de vivre you know mm-hmm. the joy of life and we feel meaning meaning is a quintessential word uh, then synchronicities come and it's really a joy to be in that the kind of vortex where things are going well and it's not never someone else doing that for you and if they are you'll be sure to find out someday that they have ulterior motives you know uh, they want something back on their you know friendly investment um, mm. but when you go in that direction whether it's will based or intuitively or uh, wherever you know and you find that whoa i just met this person i wouldn't have met that person if i had stayed at work that day you know and and these things that are so basic uh, and i think that uh, people have to take synchronicities uh, seriously because uh, i find them completely integrated not like little rewards uh, they are uh, meaningful and that's one of the definitions, like uh, random things happening that acquire meaning in our interpretation of them. But I think it's more than that. It's also an immediate emotional thing. We don't always have to like interpret everything to find meaning. It can feel mm. meaningful. You know, that's a really you, important point. Oh, absolutely! You meet someone mm. on the corner that you haven't met in a long time, and that person reminds you of who you really need to be. 
and and you're filled in the moment with the potential of you know that person perhaps symbolizes that thing or or reminds you of that you should be doing that so it's not only oh i should be doing this it's an immediate emotional impact that gives you you um, uh, a feeling that uh, i should really be doing this because that's where i feel meaning i like that i mean for i, I sometimes call that feeling like i'm in the slipstream of of or yeah, I, I guess in more corporate language you could say in a flow state mm-hmm. but i also in my life you can lean way too far into synchronicities as well into starting to think that they are like commands or mm-hmm. or literal and i think oh, pointing yeah. out that it's more about <laughs> feel the feeling that you get i remember you know just like even in my early 20s like you know, just making decisions because a synchronicity was involved. And it's like the complete wrong decision. It's like, no, you're not supposed to literally make decisions necessarily based on coincidences mm. that occur. That's probably taking it too far. Yeah, it could be I think it's, it's good at, as, as uh, little uh, reminders in the moment that you feel something that is uh, different from what you felt when you were not moving in that direction. And, and and I guess maybe you, could, you can actually look at it as a little reward. But as a command, no. Yeah, but I think an indication that you're on the right track. Yes. Um, but not as an ultimate meaning or, or anything like that. That, I think, is where the slip is. Yeah. Um, or at least it has been for me. I've made some, some you know, extremely stupid life decisions that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to, in reading this book, this is a slightly on a tangent, but I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about magic now post-COVID? as opposed to three, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to say, cause we could talk about cultural culture wide, because I think that has changed, but I'm wondering if your thinking or your lived experience of magic has changed at all. Cause I didn't even really have that thought till a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's an interesting thing to, to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and there are many levels or layers one could approach it from. One could be from a very, you know, um, let's call it egoic level. Uh, what, what, what's it like for me? Uh, well, my life situation in, in general changed because of COVID, because it became a trigger uh, to move out of Stockholm. We wanted to do that anyway, but it became a trigger of having first been isolated for a year or the self-isolation and so many things happening and people actually dying from it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it creates a negative impact, of course. So I'm very uh, Saturnian. I'm a Capricorn. I'm very slow, uh, very set in my ways. You know, uh, I'd lived in the same apartment in Stockholm for 28 years. So it was, it was time to move. Wow. And, and so basically that thing helped. Mm. So in hindsight, it was a good thing because it triggered this thing that, that made us move to a much better space uh, that has allowed me to become much more creative. Um, so, and, and as for magic in itself, um, it's just tagged along. It's completely integrated. I work much better, more intuitively, uh, magically. And by that, I mean, like ritually and in my meditations, I'm allowing myself to bloom in a different way here uh, that I couldn't do in this this sort of tiny space in Stockholm where we felt uh, 
isolated in many ways. Mm. Um, so in that sense, but that's just like, again, a causal thing. I don't like this, so let's change this. Uh, that could have happened because of other reasons too, not specifically COVID. But in this case, it was the COVID thing and the self-isolation. Uh, on a larger um uh, uh, cultural scale, I think the uh, uh, the enemy that you cannot see is always the trickiest one because it's like uh, totally demonic in a sense. You demonize something that you can't see, and that's the reason why. You know, in in warfare, it's easy to point the finger and say that's the enemy. Let's go get them. Uh, and in uh, this case. The uh, I think what happened, I may be wrong, but I think what happened was that all the statistics peaked so much uh, in the beginning because of the fact that uh, the statistics um, came from the deaths of many frail people, like older mm -hmm. people, uh, infirm people. And of course, then they are dropping like flies and it's hyper tragic. But all you see is that Oh, Sweden has the highest death rate per capita in this thing. What are they do, doing? You know, but what happened was basically it hit so hard in the beginning, and that sent uh, traumatic shockwaves not only for the people who lost people, uh, relatives and stuff, uh, but also in this um, I don't know demagogic exploitation of statistics in a way. Um, so that was one thing that affected at least Sweden and I think West, the Western world in general uh, in a negative way. It became something very dangerous very quickly. Uh, and that, of course, um, led to this self-isolation because in hindsight, you know, we can only speculate, uh, perhaps it would have been better if the sort of you know healthier, more more upstanding people uh, in general, maybe it would have been better for the entire culture uh, if everyone had been exposed to to um, to COVID and create faster this thing that's usually called herd immunity. Mm -hmm. You know where where it's no longer spiking, but it's you know flat or decreasing. Uh, however, with that approach, it would have been very provocative when you do have infirm people, like old people, uh, elderly people's homes and stuff like that, that were so, um, you know, they, they got it bad. And I think mm -hmm. it was the same in America also. I think actually yes. more, more than a million people died in the US, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. yeah. And that, that, that's a lot. And I, I lost, um, you know, um, several friends. Uh, so for me, it was never, uh, <laughs> and they were all anti-vaxxers, I should add. So for me, oh, interesting. There, yeah, for me, the, the, there is a connection. Uh, I got the vaccines and, and uh, I have not felt anything sort of negative coming from that. And not have I, I haven't seen it either in other people, mm. uh, I think. So the, the impact has mainly been on having had a collective trauma, uh, statistics, actual personal connections with someone who died, you know, firsthand or secondhand, I don't know, uh, this thing that it was real, it was a real threat. Uh, and also uh, the friends I had who died, they were sort of gung-ho, you know, no, 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 it's not, it's, there's nothing, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Were, they, were, were they younger people? No, they were my age and, and uh, I wouldn't say absolutely not infirm. Perhaps a little bit adventurous, <laughs> but but in okay. general, in general, <laughs> okay. uh, 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 I would say that they were very strong people. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. So I think I'm that sorry. It, sorry to hear that. 
Yeah, no, and it was, it was it's horrible. But I mean, it's also um, because everyone has this thing where you know, should we trust sure. Big Brother? You know, should we trust you know uh, the medical corporations, Big Pharma, uh, who's making the money here? Well, they are, etc., uh, etc. Et but on the other hand, you know, you can only you know, go back to, to my own childhood. I was born in 1966. There were still occasional cases of polio at that time. But because of the massive vaccination against polio, it, it was, uh, I would say, obliterated. I think it's mm. gone, at least in, in that part of the world, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, smallpox, chickenpox, whatever you get when you're a kid. I've never had those diseases because I got the vaccines. So in my safe Swedish brain of, of causality, I have trusted Big Brother because we've never had any kind of, you know, corrupt governments or, or uh, hmm. scandals in that case or, or uh, Big That firm. must be nice. Oh, it's <laughs> the opposite here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let me tell you, it's so nice. <laughs> I, I can't so even nice. imagine what that must be like here. Yeah, it's no, just but, you know, all money. I, I know. I mean, I have an American wife and, and the thing is that I've, I've heard so many things that you know, why do people accept that? <laughs> why do people accept so much craziness? Because um, <laughs> that's a much longer conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. a, but um, no, that it, it, there was so much during COVID. I mean, that's an understatement of the millennium. There was so much happened during COVID. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about, in a way, it was a forced I don't know about shamanic, but certainly a forced confrontation with the inner world for everyone yeah. by force yeah. by the government, because everyone had to be, at least in theory, those who yeah. were, you know, isolated, often for very, very long periods of time, uncomfortably yeah. long and, and too long, you know, but certainly isolation produces the shamanic experience. Exactly. And one of the things we saw coming out of that, um, and that I saw, I had to be very careful with, you know, I really had to be careful with my own um my own navigation of that because it's so easy to just exactly what you said when when you can't see the enemy it's like well what's really going on like and you're not leaving your house it's like mm -hmm. well, you know what's what's happening with the virus what's happening mm -hmm. with totalitarianism you know there's all yeah. these things but you can't see them other than through your phone which is you know always distorted to <laughs> yeah. say the least or completely yeah. fictional yeah. so and and then it's kind of like well you're you would in in that traditionally in that space you would look to your tribe for information and then mm -hmm. but everyone else you know in theory maybe is in the same situation or everyone's on different pages or you don't even know who you know who you can trust i mean in terms of such extreme opinions about so many things during this yeah. time and exactly. and what can you do you can go online and talk to people well that's not going to really get you very far no. uh, and it was just a cultural uh psychosis in addition to the literal uh pandemic i mean what a, what a what a horrible time for so many people yeah um, but, yeah I, I think that that you know if we return to to um the source magic main theory uh, mm -hmm. i think that doesn't matter where the virus came from whether it was like in a uh, conspiratorial mind frame you know it was manufactured in a lab it was china no it was america it was you know those things will always pop up because that's the nature of, of uh, I don't know, some people at least, and they have uh, great amplification potential through the internet, as we know. However, 
doesn't matter. Let's just accept the fact that, okay, there is something called COVID-19. It spiked, it toured the world, it brought a lot of people uh, to uh, literally to the grave. Uh, mm. However, that should be another great wake-up call to just get our fucking shit together. Yeah. And I have yeah. to say that, you know, we are lucky uh, because what happened after the first world war um, and then amplified by the second was this thing that, oh, there needs to be a unified global communication. And one of those things that I'm not only talking about the UN, but you also have the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, that monitors all of these little, you know, Ebola flashes here, COVID there, you know, and can communicate in real time with other regions and with, um, you know, um, infrastructure of flight and other means of travel and it's a pretty amazing thing because if that didn't exist then i think that the negative power the lethal power of many of these things would be massive you yeah. know if there if there weren't like impositions uh, happening uh, we've had it um, you know, something that the bird flew and then COVID and, you know, an Ebola for a while there in Africa, at least. And, you know, these things, if no one controls them, then it will travel to everyone around yeah. the world. And, and this, I think, will just keep, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, knock on wood, hopefully not. But I think, you know, we're, we're going to be back in the situation at some point because oh, that's just the nature of the world. You know, there's the nature of, of, uh, an exploding population that's you know constant everyone is traveling constantly yeah. all over the world yeah. and you know no nobody's separate anymore yeah you know even and also, when you think about airport flows you know it's like exactly. we're not separate from each other at all no and isn't it interesting also that that uh it's not an enemy that is ever defeated because viruses want to survive too so they mutate so mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, we come up with one, one vaccine that's good for now, but the COVID, I'm sure, will mutate into whatever it is, then COVID-20, 21, or right. let's wait for COVID-23. That would be nice. That will probably be the killer. And, I hope and not. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, it is. it was for me, it's like, it's interesting. I do wonder how Jen would have reacted to this period in terms of talking about control and, yeah. and so forth. Although yeah. Jen was also, I, I think people may not realize uh hopefully more after reading your books but jen was so scientifically minded yeah and actually like fascinated with things yeah. like like bacteria and viruses and, oh, and, yeah. and this type of thing so I'm, i wonder how jen would have reacted to this period uh, but for me it's just for me it's just like look everyone was kind of in a black and white thing of oh the government's doing this or it's not or you have to trust mm -hmm. the government it's like for me it's like i'm so relentlessly dark that it's just like look everything bad can be happening all at once yeah. <laughs> like there can be a totalitarian government and a horrible disease and <laughs> like this can all be happening all at once so you Absolutely. gotta hedge your bets here yeah 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 <laughs> and then what happens when when it sort of seems to be fizzling out then then russia attack uh, attack ukraine you know this is kind of this this insane just, negative yeah. scenarios that it's it's almost like someone scripted it and i don't mean that in a conspiratorial way but it's so absurd how how things right. i think the first week of covid I, I sat down and during that time i was not sleeping hardly at all because it just there's so much so much going on and moving and trying to get away from it and trying to get ahead of the wave. It's just like insane. It's just it's such an insane and, and horrible period. But um, I think I sat down right at the beginning and I just kind of did a brain download and said, okay, what's going to happen? And I kind of like 
plotted out the contingencies and the probabilities of what was going to happen. It was just kind of like, okay, supply chain breakdown, that happened. Um, mass rioting, that happened. An attempt to overthrow the government in the US, that happened. That was surprised. That actually happened and exactly when I predicted it. And the next one was, you know, potential global supply chain shutdown and global war. That thankfully did not happen, but it did happen in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. So um, what a you know, I, I think when you say like this needs to be a wake up call to get our shit together, it's like, yeah. And I mean, I think the one of the most one of the scariest things and I guess we're getting off a bit off track here. But one of the scariest things about um, this whole experience was it was how little people were prepared for it. I mean, in the U.S., Donald Trump just dismantled a lot of the infrastructure that was yeah. there that could have handled it. You know, yeah. so there's just there's a bad actor uh, at work and that affects the planet. But also just. I think we we saw just people's psychological reactions under stress. I mean, it was, you know, I, I'm I'm glad to have had so much magical experience because I, I think on one of our earlier podcasts we talked about, um, you know, if you have some magical understanding, then you can deal with a post truth world, whereas mo- most people mm-hmm. can't. But also this, and I think, you know, some of the clearest lessons of COVID is like will okay, like making decisions. You you saw. Maybe you saw, I definitely saw when all this started, when people started realizing this was real, a lot of people just froze and they didn't know what to do, which is a very human thing. And so you saw that or people saying like, no, I'm going to make a decision by will to do X, Y, Z, like for instance, to move out of Stockholm, I moved out of Los Angeles for the same reasons. And um, not everyone has the means to do that, you know, but whether it's that or how you you certainly have to make a decision of you know about vaccination. You have to make a decision yeah. about whether you're going to wear a mask, wh- whether who you're going to associate with. It was a real stress test of human everything, and and that's kind of one of the reasons why I was asking if your perspective on magic has changed because I, I feel that it's a situation that forced everyone to certainly to wake up, hopefully long enough to manage that wartime like situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think for, for me personally, again, for me, it was good. It was good in the sense that it made me more aware, like on a meta level, uh, because there's always the danger for, for, for everyone to become uh, not necessarily inert, but, you know, a little bit complacent, the comfort zone, um, and keep doing what you're doing because you sort of know it works. And mm-hmm. um, But you need to shake things up. And sometimes you are too set in your ways to allow yourself to shake yourself up, then when outer things like this happen of a real magnitude, a real threat, real you know, um, yeah, magnitude, um, then you have to react to it. You you can't just you know uh, dismiss it. And you're a, every human being is essentially a social animal. We're we need to go to the store. We need to do these things. It, it entails contact with other people, and that I think uh, was. Uh, something that allowed me or in a way forced me to change my perspective and say, can I do things differently even on my, in my hocus pocus stuff or in my mm-hmm. creative work? Uh, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and they have all gelled into to a situation that is much better now. And for us also, I think it was, uh, you know, I wouldn't say funny, but it was certainly interesting and a bit absurd as things tend to be uh, when we felt that, well, now it's, 
seems to be over when I'm talking about last summer, the summer mm. of 2022. And we had been in our new place for um, a little bit more than a year and settled in and got into our groove. And, and, and we just said, oh, so we've been invited to, to this beautiful uh, wedding in France. We hadn't traveled a bit, you know, not hardly in Sweden even. And, and so, yeah, okay, so let's go to this thing. It seems to be over, you know. And we had both, you know, mm-hmm. vaccines, no COVID nothing but as soon as we left as soon as we got i don't know where we got it we went you know brussels oh, no. france you know traveled around a bit in france and and there we got sick you know wow. so so that's for me is like fuck i'm <laughs> staying home <laughs> yeah. wow and hopefully it was it it was okay with it was vaccination okay. and all yeah, that okay absolutely if it's compared to other horror stories it was yeah. absolutely mild and i do ascribe that to our vaccinations okay um because uh i have uh have had uh, have a little bit asthma so i was afraid you know that it would hit i me do too yeah badly but it wasn't like it was like uh it was like a flu it is a flu uh, and it didn't hit me badly although i again i do ascribe that to the benefits of having uh, had the vaccines okay. but for us it was so funny in a way that we 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 become daredevils when everything is supposedly over and that's yeah. that's when you get it it's, that's it's the like thing a, it's like a film noir you know all has this sort of moralistic <laughs> thing the the bad guy he turns good redeemed by love and then the cops get him you know oh, yeah, yeah 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 that's funny yeah. um or not um <laughs> one, one second my dog's yeah. wilding out yeah He gets separation anxiety if he's not in the same room with me. Yeah, um, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and it may be something like, you know, at least in the in the U.S., particularly Los Angeles, where I used to live, there was the thing that happened with with AIDS. You know, it's like I I grew up watching people all around me die of AIDS and and HIV HIV, and then. But everyone, like younger people, never had that experience. Like they never had that reference point of seeing somebody with, um, you know, sarcoma and all all of this. And so younger people just stop taking precautions and being very risky in their behavior. And also for younger people, they just assume it's like, well, you know, it's not. They don't think of of uh, HIV as a death sentence anymore. It's like, well, now there's drugs, you can manage it. You know, you never hear about it on the news. It seems very much. And so that may be the same case with COVID. People are like, well, now there's vaccines, there's there's a Paxlovid or whatever that is. It's just like, well, who cares? You know, and that's well, that can produce a new epidemic. I mean, you know, like in Los Angeles, uh, 10 years ago, there was a massive, massive, like medieval level outbreak of syphilis and gonorrhea mm-hmm. because of people meeting on dating apps. Right. Yeah, and, and it's just like these diseases have completely come back that you think people would have the most basic common sense to be able yeah. to to yeah. avoid. But, you know, that's how people are. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So, so yeah, that's totally, working. totally. And, and uh, my hope then is that that for some people, at least it can give become a bit of an uh, afterburner in a good way, like keep 
that people keep thinking about these things and actually change things on existential levels and become more mindful about uh, what's what and what's important. And I think one of the interesting things here, Swedes in general, they're they're very uh, keen to go out in nature. I think that's true for all of Scandinavia. And of course, you know, we only have 10 million people in a pretty big country. So there's a lot of space here and it's basically all forest. You know, that's it's, all, it's all nature. No, it's wonderful. So I think that uh, uh, in Sweden, a lot of people started going out into nature more because that meant not having to meet other people. <laughs> it's just like drift in the forest or go on a hike, whatever. It's good for your health, good for your for body and mind, and uh, good to reconnect with nature. And so those I see also as uh, benefits of, of this thing that they would probably not have done unless they felt so confined being inside their little apartments or houses and and uh, nature is just out there so let's go out into nature and see what happens there and it's fresh air and nice and you come back home and you sleep better and you know it's just healthier so that's like one result that was very good here um but i hope for also you know the people in general whether it's this you know, pandemic or other things that are happening or even the war going on in, in Ukraine, you know, that people start connecting the dots and saying that uh, these are circular movements. It, everything comes back to bite us in the butt. You know, the dictators are interchangeable, but mm. they always end up in the same way and it's not good for them. And apparently when you go to uh, dictator school, they rarely <laughs> teach history, it seems, because yes. anyone with a, you know even a, a superficial knowledge of history, like for instance, twentieth century history, not that far ago, is like it all ended very badly for all these uh, autocrats uh, and and tyrants in different forms. So, what is it that makes them think that they will end up differently? It's psychosis. They they are psychotic, and they have not they have lost touch with that kind of um, reality check mentality. They are uh, high. They are riding high from from uh, being in power, power or up. from from drugs. Literally, in many cases, oh, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm sure that too. But the main drug is oh the the most dangerous one is the the um, thrill that comes from uh, dominating other people. Yeah. And that you should only really do when you are fully individuated. Uh, but none of these people are. So that's why it unfortunately ends really badly for them. Or I should say fortunately, but unfortunately also for a lot of other people. And and it's a fucking shame. Right. Um, although maybe they're very well aware of that. And it's, you know, it's, it's uh, the devil's bargain that's worth it for them to have that type of power. I can certainly understand that. Um, yeah, and certainly we've been subjected to extremely, supremely authoritarian currents in, in Western culture for the last, what, I've lost track now, you know, well, for a long time, but particularly <laughs> since 2016 yeah. or 2015, uh, not just in terms of autocrats, but in terms of people, including a lot of people in the in the in in a culture adopting more authoritarian mindsets and and trying that out. And it seems like that's maybe on the way now but it's hard to tell where things are going to go next 
Mm. Yeah, I have I have no idea. I think in general, I like usually when you say people are grasping for straws, it's usually a very negative image in the sense that there's there's not much to cling to, you know. And and if you're in the quicksand, you will surely you know fall down. And if you're in the water, and you know you can't cling to straws, you know, it's too too uh, fickle in a way. However, I I do find the image quite beautiful. You know, the human being sort of grasping for clinging to some kind of connection with the earth with nature i mean that's not the the moral meaning of that saying but i like the image so we're all i think clinging for straws um not only in the sense that we are all you know mortal and that kind of basic stuff but uh, as um human species i think uh, we're obviously clinging for straws uh, mm. Because uh, whatever it is that's being done is usually done under the aegis or the umbrella of uh, of business. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, let's build some electric cars with better batteries. But that sort of depletes another mine yeah. <laughs> somewhere else. Yes. You know, yes. so it's, it's like, yeah, okay, so no carbon emissions, but but still, you know, there'll <laughs> be gaping holes in Africa, uh, more of them, uh, and you know, so it's 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 problematic. I think that. Um, Maybe we should uh, not cling for straws. We should probably cling for for trees or something instead. Mm. Uh, and um, it made me think of eating uh, euro stocks, clinging for straws. When yeah, you're yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And also made made an image in my head when I said, you know, cling for the trees. That for me was always or has always been, you know, the way to travel to the overworld in the shamanic journey. It's always been up through a tree and then up into to mm. the uh, overworld. So, yeah, I think just basically people need to become more aware of nature. And by that, I mean outer nature as one organism in which they're a part, but also of their inner nature. Mm. Um, There's really no difference in between them, but our inner nature is easier to get in touch with because uh, all we have to do basically is temporarily shut off the sensory input, you know, close your eyes, be still, meditate basically and see what comes up. Or go into an active ritual, like on a guided uh, path working or whatever. Yeah. Just, well, certainly just... lockdown was kind of forced that. Yeah, so yeah. I wanted to ask you about some more of the essays in the book because mm-hmm. there's so much. There's so much territory here. Uh, I feel like each one of these could, could be a each obviously <laughs> chapter know. could be a huge conversation. But yeah, yeah. you know, you, you touch on on Jajuka, Derek Jarman, the prisoner, which I love, um, Ezra Pound, Austin Spare. Uh, there's a ton here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so I'll just pick one out. Um, magical realism. I was super interested in your thoughts about this. If you wanted to talk about that, cause I've been, I've been thinking about that also recently, just in terms of the, um, magical realist literary genre yeah. and film genre. And I was just, uh, I, I recently watched a film called uh, El Norte from 1982, which was a magical realist film, which is great. Uh, it's a Criterion Collection one, I think. It was a, a film, it was a magical realist film about people fleeing violence in Guatemala and attempting to immigrate into the U.S. illegally and then getting here and trying to navigate the culture, and but full of magical realist symbolism and dreams. And it struck me while I was watching this movie Magical realism actually probably is the best way to depict and describe the magical experience to people. And it kind of is what magic feels like when you're in that slipstream. 
Absolutely, and also perhaps reality as such, because reality is, is no, it's not a straight narrative. Uh, weird things happen in in real life, also. Uh, but I think that our minds or psyches, whatever, have a tendency to smooth things out, to smoothen things out in order to function. Maybe that's a defense mechanism in a way, because if we were to accept all the absurdities and and weirdnesses that we encounter each day. Um, then maybe that would affect our capacity to navigate <laughs> in a rational mm. way. I don't know. But what my my take on this was that yes, we all love magical realism as a, as a genre. You mentioned movies, uh, and of course the literature. A lot of it coming from South America. You know, um, but that's that's neither here nor there. It's, that's a term that de- depicts a certain kind of uh, cultural output which we which we love. Um, but I was interested in in that why does it affect us or I would say why does it affect me so much um, and maybe that's then generally valid for more people than me and I found that what it is it's not completely crazy it's not a fairy tale with everything topsy turvy and you know uh, turn things upside down and you know things like that um, which I think will appeal more to children no there are slight distortions uh, of an almost um, hallucinogenic kind that you know within the confines of a traditional straight narrative if you have a little distortion there uh, then you react because you're not used to it you know what the fuck was that what's happening here you know so basically that activates the reading experience and also the reader's experience uh, that is something that I like a lot if I find it incredibly magical because it can be used for um like a Zen thing, you know, like a Zen Quan that is uh, seems irrational, mystified, uh, a riddle at first. But when you get it, it is like, you know, that slap of that stick of the teacher when you fall asleep. It's like, it's a brutal awakening. You go, whoa, what's this? Um, and I think that can be, uh, not can be, it is needed in our pretty sedate lifestyles. Um, mm. And that I think also uh, can have, uh, uh, negative effects, you know, because in the essay I talk about um, magical realism, uh, but I also talk about you know real magic, just twisting it and seeing that a lot of what uh, commercial advertising and of course uh, fake news and and all these things are, are doing is that they're using one form that we are uh, accustomed to as meaning something specific, but they distort it in a way that we either understand or don't understand. And the problem is when we don't understand it, then we take, then it becomes propaganda. We, we swallow it without chewing. And, and in the, um, um, in the essay, I talk a little bit about uh, the aesthetics of truth in a way. Uh, for instance, if we see, we have been imprinted during this past decade or so uh, by when we see footage that obviously comes from a cell phone, we interpret that as truth. Mm. That's what, how we've been taught to uh, look at it in the news. It's like, you know, it's a revolt in, in Northern Africa or it's a, mm. you know, here's the dictator being killed or here are the American cops beating up someone, you know, so we're inherently uh, programmed to believe that this shaky handheld thing, it displays the truth. 
However, it's so easy to fake that too and you just shoot something, whatever, with a mobile phone and then send that to a news network saying, this is this. And you know, when people watch it, they will go, oh, wow, that's amazing or that's so sad or whatever. Mm. Um, however, we're also um, programmed to, to believe that if something is super streamlined, well-lit, beautiful sonography, uh, uh, you know, doll-like actors, then we know it's fiction. You know, we're programmed to believe that this, this what we're watching or partaking of is fiction. Uh, so there's something to be said for the form, how things are presented. And that's why magical realism in, in the good way, in the literary way, is very interesting. And it also goes for film also, that with slight, slight, slight deviations, we can understand how sucked in to media we actually are and it'll be the little deviations or what's between the lines that will actually tell the real story because it has some kind of meta level of the storytelling not only the story told mm -hmm. uh, and i think that that um, taking part of that culture is very beneficial because it makes you aware of uh, the fact that someone has actually put this uh, together so it's a little bit of a meta magic. I love it. <laughs> I'm super interested in your experience with the Jujuka because uh, this, this sounds like an extremely colorful experience when you, and I, I didn't realize that you'd been to, oh, to see them. Yeah. yeah, no, it's just incredible. Um, it was <clears throat> literally beyond belief uh, because of the fact that I also write about there is I'd been immersed in the mythos, you know, for, for all of my, and not even, I was going to say my magical life, but I mean, even from day one, literally, because my father used to run, run a jazz club in Stockholm in the mid sixties. And right when I had been born, uh, there was a buzz at their door and Ornette Coleman came to give me my cradle. And it sounds, it's, yeah, it sounds like that's amazing. You know, yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's, yeah. You know, the hand that rocks the cradle, etc. So, <laughs> uh, that so already there, I had some kind of Jujuka connection. It just hadn't happened yet because Ornette Coleman went there with Barrows and recorded one album, and Barrows recorded at the same time, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et and then you have Guy Sin, and then you have the beats there in Tangiers. And, and you have Brian Jones presents the Pipes of Pan that I used a lot as ritual music in the Topi days, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, you know, incredible. And, and also magic, of course, the Mektubian magic uh, that I've practiced uh, for many decades now, you know, basically writing it, writing spells. It, mm -hmm. it is written, Mektub, that Guy Sinanbaros uh, integrated in their... Uh, well, in their magical mythology in a way. So for me and Vanessa to be there physically in Jujuka uh, during uh, sol summer solstice celebration and have be blasted by this music that in my mind was mythical, but now it was also real. It was imaginary growing up and listening to it, but now it was real. And those transcendences are absolutely like initiations. And it's not like, you know, going to see your favorite band. It, it can have the same thing, but this is much more because uh, it's connected to such a long time, unbroken tradition of this Lupercalia celebration where you have uh, Bujelud, this uh, uh, Pan figure 
you know, uh, coming in the goat skin and whipping the women and also kids and stuff. Uh, it's just completely timeless uh, experience of um, something that's been going on for, uh, you know, thousands of years. It's all over the Mediterranean, they were doing these Lupercalia celebrations. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the goat that slaughtered, that, you know, Bujilud dresses in, uh, that's something you all eat together. That's the banquet, the feast, uh, right before the uh, band starts playing again. You know, they just play and play and play. And you cannot, uh, you cannot not dance. You know, it's just incredible. It's like the complete ultimate cosmic rave. Mm-hmm. And, and all the other aspects. It's just, it's just uh, beyond belief. Wow. Some of the other cultural figures you chose in the book, was there a common thread? Since uh, we can't touch on all of them, although I love to. Was, <laughs> was, there a, was there a common thread with the ones that you picked? And was there a kind of overall pattern of what you were trying to show? Yeah, I think uh, the common thread is that uh, uh, I love to go on tangents. I love to speculate about uh, culture and all these things. And now also in Source Magic, there's a lot of what I call magical anthropology, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more like overviews of how it relates to human culture. Uh, but I also, there's also uh, uh, a lot of me in there because I never wanted to be uh, dry or academic because, you know, let them do that. Uh, I want to be... Um, uh, I am the story in a way in that I'm a little bit of a navigator or a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm not really present. Sometimes I am. So I think the red thread is this uh, sliding in and out of my own psyche in a way. You know, I can, that, that what you talked about before here with, with uh, us going to Jujuka, that was, of course, very, very personal. So that's an, a protagonist story. Whereas, for instance, a... Um, Another essay about the British TV series The Prisoner is much more of a cultural essay uh, about uh, that TV series. However, as we both know, no. it contains so much that is relevant for uh, the culture of our times. The uh, Prisoner. Yeah, the prisoner, the yeah, yeah. individualism, you know, paranoia, control. Uh, how do we liberate ourselves? Who can you trust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and that goes for uh, you know um, the essay about Derek Jarman too. It's yeah. something that is very close to my own mythology, uh, but that's more a piece about his relationship to magic. So yeah, I guess I guess magic is the red thread. Yeah, I, the the prison. All these are so uh, things that I love as well. Um, a lot of them, at least. Um, and it was, I was thinking, it's like it, you know, some of so many of these things for me, at least, have been such an obvious part of a culture. I mean, certainly being being around Jen, you know, Jen was very connected to Derek Jarman and and Jujuka and all of these things, Austin Spare. Um, but these are. Again, perhaps occulted names. I mean, certainly in the U.S., I don't think people really know who Derek Jarman was. Now uh, they yeah. do in England, but yeah. um, maybe not as much. And and even the prisoner is not something you hear people talk about. But that's such a that's such an important document. You know, I always love the. I'm not. You know, I'm not a number. I'm a free man. Yeah. But I actually like better than that. They do a riff on that in Batman Returns, where the Penguin says, "I'm not a man. I am an animal." <laughs> <laughs> Which I think yeah. now that's now that that that's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I think if if there's anything, uh, any you know, uh, over uh, kind of a strategy or or a premise for the book as such, I mean, it's an anthology of essays and lectures and things that I've written over these past years. 
but if I, I do love to contextualize things. Uh, sometimes I feel that I find new things. Uh, sometimes I feel that I perhaps rehash or at least recontextualize things that at least I know and a few others. But as you say, there's an entirely new generation that have heard of these things or that have not heard of these things. And for those people, I feel a need to contextualize and present and represent and mm. perhaps even represent uh, these uh, spirits in a way, because uh, it is magic. Uh, it is the magic of a culture. It's the occult stuff. It's the culture stuff. And then the, uh, and the occulture stuff. And then there's the stuff that's sort of in between in what I call the uh, occulturation process, things that mm. are moving from one to the other. Uh, and uh, I like to, uh, actually, I love to uh, look at these things and just... Uh, write about them and contextualize do you, do you see that as a two-way process i'm thinking you know obviously things from the occult tend to move into culture but they also go yeah. back and, yeah, and yeah, no, even absolutely. even things that are just kind of forgotten as time goes on oh, absolutely become a cult. yeah and i think that that uh, the interesting thing there is not uh, necessarily that they become occult in the sense hidden but they that they become magical uh, mm. in the sense empowering for the magician and i think uh, i suspect there are a lot of things going on in in the new technology uh, last time we touched briefly upon ai uh, and i think that and also things like tiktok and this sort of you know stuff that i cannot really relate to because yeah. it's so distant from me in its psychology and usage however i'm sure there's a very savvy new generation of um, of magicians uh, who are aware intuitively or intellectually or even historically about how these dynamics work and they're using them so in that sense everything that's out there in the mainstream take tiktok as an example for instance it cannot be more mainstream than that yet it has esoteric magical potential because mm. it's a select little group that can use the technology to achieve their own ends and it's not necessarily bad and brainwashing it could also be empowering and creating new communities and stuff like that was the idea the, at the beginning of the internet, for instance, and with, right. uh, as we know, cyber culture. Um, so I think that in that sense, things are going also from the mainstream and in the, into the occult, but not in the sense to be hidden or forgotten, but uh, in the sense of empowering magic. Uh, whereas I think in terms of the old occult stuff, there's still more to dig up and out. Oh, and always. Move into the mainstream. You know, I, I think, think any, of, any of these in your book that people picked up on any of these are capable of changing somebody's life, you know, whether it's yeah. the prisoner or, or Jujuka or Derek German or oh, whole universes yeah. to oh. discover. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, I, I like, uh, you know, of course the, the Swedish word smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. That's better. Yeah. It sort of uh, means that uh, you have all kinds of plates of, of uh, nice, uh, wonderful tasting stuff uh, everything might not be to your liking but it's all good quality stuff and and uh, you nibble here you nibble there and and you'll have a great time that's how definitely. i look at it yeah well that's definitely how this book is and so maybe we should wrap on that and let people read it um so source magic the origin of art science and culture it's a it's a uh Again, I will ask you to say, I don't, I will say smorgasbord, but you'll say it much better than I would. Smorgasbord. Um, 
There we go. That that is what it is. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> I'm I'm hyper conscious of my American barbarianism. Um, it's a great book. People should definitely pick it up. Are what are you, are you working on? What are you working on next? Uh, I'm knee deep in something that is due to be ready within a couple of months, and it's it's a, a very very interesting book for me, and hopefully for for other people also. It's it's a magical autobiography. So I've been going through like. 50 volumes of diaries from wow. 1987 plus finally sorting my archive now that i have a bit more space here uh, and going through correspondences uh, um, just very rare stuff i don't mean it rare in terms of financial value but rare in the sense that um, how many people way back when actually printed out emails i did <laughs> Jen did as well. Jen was yeah, always printing emails out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so I'm so happy. And I even have like you know old photocopies of faxes because faxes mm. they just you know disappeared. They they evaporated mm. and yeah. and uh, things like that. And of course, just saving letters and correspondences and old little documents and and photographs, of course. Uh, so I'm in the midst, knee deep, uh, of my own mosaic memory mosaic in a way and it's very very uh interesting because of course this documentation that i have allows me to remember more than my brain uh can ha- you know can cope with because i've forgotten so many of these things but those stories are all in the diaries so i'm sort of revealing to myself and eventually to the readers also what the hell was happening hmm. that's great well i'm looking forward to that will it be an, yeah. uh, an auto hagiography uh, well, I'm not so sure about the hagiography. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's call it hmm, something auto. My first association <laughs> to auto is, of course, erotic. <laughs> Auto-erotic. <laughs> but, but it will be that too, but in an intellectual way. Very good. Yeah. Well, we'll have to talk when that comes out. That sounds great. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Carl. Thank you for doing a two-part conversation. That was, uh, I think, very, very the first one was well received and i'm sure this one will be as well yeah beautiful thank you jason okay. and right. and also in terms of ultra culture you remember i always used to sign letters and stuff with the uh, uh i was gonna say the roman salute i don't mean that but but you know the <laughs> catholic that? church always said vade retro to you know keep satan at the distance when they were threatened by a demon or a foxy lady or whatever so i always <laughs> signed i always signed my letters vade ultra which means come forward so oh i love that we should just say Vada Ultra Culture. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I love that. All right. Uh, I must have. I must have seen that in some of the because I've seen that before. So it must have been in some of the Topi and the archives sure. letters I'm from sure. you. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Carl. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.